0: After a 20-year absence, Jacob is finally returning home. He left as a single man on the run. His brother was threatening to kill him. He left all by himself. Nobody traveled with him, no servants, no companions, no friends. He was all alone. He left with a reputation that was known for his selfishness and his deceptiveness. His very name, Jacob, means trickster or supplanter. And that was who Jacob was. He left with no money. He left with no treasures. He will later say, I left with my staff in my hand, a walking stick that a shepherd would use. He said, that's all I've got. And that's how he left home. 20 years later, he's returning back. He now has four wives. Poor guy. And he has four wives. He has 11 sons. And he has one daughter, and God is going to bless him with one more son before all is said and done. He returns with a degree of wealth that very few people in Jacob's day could even dream about. And that doesn't even account uh, for the inheritance that he is going to receive from his father Isaac when Isaac passes away because Jacob is in possession of the birthright that his brother Esau sold to him for a, a bowl of soup um, that is now his, and he'll receive a double portion of, of the inheritance. Without that, J- Jacob is coming home, and he is, by our status today, he is a multi-multi-millionaire. They, they, uh, that's how they generally measured their wealth. But as he returns home with all of that, he returns home to face his failures of the past. Hard thing to do, isn't it? Especially if we've messed up and... Others know about it. It's hard to do. He returns to face his failures of the past, but he's returning because God has told him to do so. In in chapter 31, if you could turn for a moment, things have turned sour for Jacob in the land of Haran, where he has been living. Verse number three, And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. Jacob was in, was in situations in Haran that were uh, very, very difficult. They've been ongoing for 20 years, and for the most part, none of those were his fault. The problems at home were. But the ones that in Haran weren't his fault. He is not running to escape one problem, because I have found, as maybe you have, when you run away from a problem, you're just running into a new one. He's only going there because God has told him to go. Return to the land of thy fathers, to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. In our text that we read with Brother Carson this morning is, Jacob is on that journey. The Bible says the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host. The word host literally means army. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim, the place of the army. It was God encouraging him, Jacob, you're really not alone. Uh, I I am with you. I I am here to watch over you. How he knew they were angels, the Bible does not tell us. Uh, It's enough for us that the Bible says that that is what they were. And so Jacob is coming home. Jacob's first order of business as he crossed the river and was coming into the land was to reach out to his brother Esau and seek to restore that relationship. What a wise thing to do. What a humbling thing to do. Jacob is not the same guy that left home 20 years earlier. Uh, We're about to find that out. Jacob left a fraud and a trickster and always looking out for number one and taking advantage of other people. And he's a changed man. It's, It's not really his wealth that changed him. God's done a work in Jacob's life. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that God's able to take that which is broken, that which is less than it ought to be, and God can transform that into the image of Christ. And Jacob has journeyed spiritually far more than he journeyed physically, and he's a changed man. Notice that his first order of business after that, um, he, he, he's uh, uh, the Bible says he sent a messenger, messenger to his, his brother saying, I've got all this wealth. In other words, I, I don't need anything that you have. Uh, I have sent to tell my Lord that I might find grace in thy sight. Grace is favor that we don't deserve. That's what it is, undeserved favor. He's laying it out there. I don't deserve your mercy. I don't deserve for you to forgive me. I'm just putting it out there, but... It didn't turn out well. The messengers came back to Jacob. We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee and 400 men with him. This wasn't a welcoming party. This was an army. Jacob knew that because he was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided divided his flocks and herds and his servants and so forth into two groups and sent one off one direction and one the other and said, if Esau attacks one of you, at least the rest of you can get away or, or, or vice versa. And uh, he quickly learned, he quickly learned that 20 years had not changed Esau's heart. Isn't it a a hard thing to deal with when there's somebody that you love, that you care about, but you can't fix them? You can't make them get saved. There's, There's a friend of mine that I dearly wish he would get saved. I can't make it happen. There are people that are away from God that I want to see back. I can't make it happen. Jacob has found out that 20 years didn't soften Esau's temper at all. And in, in any uh, event, it seems like it made his heart harder than ever before. So he goes to pray. Verse number nine. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will do well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies. And of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant did you hear that similar line in the song this morning when you sang that just a moment ago my heart just soared Jacob is not coming home with a high hand and a high mind he's sitting before his God saying I'm not you've been good to me and I'm not worthy of any of it God, God pity us if we ever start thinking that we deserve something from God Or that we deserve better than we've got. I deserve to spend eternity separated from God in a lake that burneth with fire and brimstone. And the fact that Jesus saved me from that means that anything else I get is is icing on top of the cake. Jacob is being honest with God. I am not worthy. You've been so good to me. Uh, With my staff... I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. I left with just my staff. Look at all that you've given me. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Jacob is praying, and that's exactly what he ought to do. He's quoting God in his prayer saying, this is the promise that you made to me. Uh, It's a wonderful thing as believers to know that we can stand upon the promises of God. And when we do so, we are standing on solid ground because God always keeps his word. It is impossible for God to lie. Amen. So he's in a dire situation. By the way, it needs to be addressed here that all jo- though Jacob had deceived his father in stealing the, the, uh, the spiritual blessing, Esau was not exactly a totally innocent man. And he liked to claim that. Uh, But the Bible says in chapter 25, verse 34, that um, Esau had come in from hunting all day. It was hot. Uh, It appears maybe he came home empty-handed, and Jacob was in the process of making some food. Uh, He was making a pottage of lentils, which would be like chili for us today, a red bean, that type of thing. And Esau saw it and said, give me something to eat. And Jacob very shrewdly, said i'll tell you what i'll give you a bowl of soup if you give me your birthright the birthright was reserved for the eldest son they were twins but esau was born first so the birthright the double portion of the inheritance belonged to esau and esau says what what good will this birthright do to me i'm at the point to die he probably missed lunch I'm sure he had a big breakfast. That was the custom of the day. And it's been a hot day. It's been a fruitless day. Ah, oh, behold, I'm at the point to die. And the Bible says he made a deal with Jacob. Now, Jacob shouldn't have been like that. He should have seen his brother's hunger and fed him. But you can't let Esau off the hook. Not at all. The Bible says it this way. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. And then the Bible says this, thus Esau despised his birthright. That which was important, that which was eternal, Esau had no time for that. Just give me a bowl of soup and you can have all this other stuff. As long as I'm fed, that's all that I care about. And God's word says that he despised his birthright. In Hebrews chapter 12, I won't read the entire passage. The Bible says, though, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. In other words, God wants to work in your life and and you miss out on that. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. We mentioned in Sunday school today that when we sin, we usually hurt more people than we intended, and bitterness will defile many. Lest there be any fornicator, and here, listen to this, or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. God called him a profane person. That means he's unholy or he had absolutely no respect for that which was sacred. You can turn up your nose at the Bible. You can scoff, you can roll your eyes, you can snicker, you can sneer, all you want. But understand, that doesn't make you cool. In God's eyes, that makes you profane. And that's what Esau was. So we need to remind ourselves here, yes, Jacob has some things to account for, but that doesn't leave Esau off the hook for his own shortcomings. But of course, if you know your Bible, Esau never conceded that point, never did. So he finds out that all this is going on, and so he prays that prayer. By the way, I'm glad that for Jacob, prayer was not his last recourse. Well, everything else failed, might as well pray. It was his first recourse. Amen. That was the very first thing that he did. Question about us, when a crisis, a problem, a trial comes into our lives, what is the first thing that we do? Do we vent? Do we play the victim card? Do we get that? God, I can't believe you're letting this happen to me. Um, do we stress and worry and pace and stay awake and relive things? And if, I, if I'd only done this, if I'd only said that, or maybe I could do this, or maybe that's me. That's me. I can worry myself into into a, a, a frenzy over this. Do we lose our testimony with unholy words and actions? Well, you don't know what they did. I had my right to. I had a right to lose my temper and cuss and swear. No, you didn't. Uh, But we lose our testimony in those moments. Jacob did none of those things. He prayed. The songwriter said it so well. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. But I want you to listen very carefully. I read Jacob's prayer in preparation for this message. I got my phone out and I got the stopwatch feature on my phone out. And I, I hit start and I read his prayer. I did not speed read it. I just read his prayer as if I was praying it. It took 37 seconds to pray his prayer. 37 seconds. I ask myself, I wonder if that's what my prayer life looks like. I give God 37 seconds of my day. And all the other thousands of seconds have spent me doing what I think I want to do. Or venting or any of the above mentioned things. But for Jacob, that's not where he left it. That's not where he left it. Uh, In in the following verses, uh, starting in... uh, uh verse number 13 down through verse 21 he prepared a gift for his brother Esau to send ahead he, maybe to soften the blow a little bit he gave a, a a vast number of animals and so forth and sent them over uh he said in verse 20 for he said i will appease him with the presence that the present that goeth before me and afterward i will see his face peradventure maybe perhaps he will accept of me So he sent it over, when the present went over before him, and uh, so went the present over before him and himself lodged that night in the company, and he rose up that night and took his two wives and two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had, verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. That night he sent his family across the little brook that was there, saw that they all got over safely and... He's left all by himself, and that 37-second prayer, we find out, was just a prelude. It's just a prelude to a prayer that was going to change Jacob's life forever. It was a prayer that was going to have such power with God that it is mentioned several times throughout our Bible. It is a prayer that prevailed with God to the point that God renamed Jacob and said, you're not going to be called Jacob anymore, the deceiver, the trickster. I'm going to call you Israel, which means a prince with God. The nation today that bears his name is not called the nation of Jacob. It's called Israel, the prince of God. Please understand that. Jacob entered into this prayer, and I want to... To look at it a little bit, it's familiar to us. Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. I want you to notice here the first thing, he wrestled with God alone all night long. He didn't didn't satisfy himself saying, well, I've prayed. Yeah, 37 seconds worth of prayer. He understood that this was beyond him. He even knew that the present that he sent ahead of him with all the animals and so forth, uh, there was no no assurance that was going to work because Esau was a wealthy man on his own, right? He just said, peradventure, I will be accepted of him, but he knew it wasn't enough. Esau's coming with an army of four hundred men. He's coming at him with four with twenty years of pent up anger. Uh, the last words he said, "When my father dies, I will kill my brother and that's what Jacob heard as he flees the the home and, and heads over to Haran when he was such a young man and and he understands if God doesn't fix it, it doesn't get fixed. But Jacob wasn't content with that state that that state he said. God can fix it, and I'm going to get a hold of God until he does. God used the word wrestling on purpose. He didn't just say that he went out somewhere and prayed. He wrestled. The Bible says a man with him until the breaking of the day. We find out later in the passage that this is none other than the Lord himself. I believe it's an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Because Jacob acknowledges the next morning that I have seen God face-to-face, and my life is preserved. Jacob is wrestling in his prayer. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12 of a man named Epaphras, who is a member of the church at Colossae who was now serving with the apostle Paul. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. He's saying, hello, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that ye may stand perfect and complete, In all the will of God. Prayer wasn't some casual little thing. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. It wasn't that thing. It wasn't a 37-second prayer. And by the way, his 37-second prayer was a valid prayer, and it was a scriptural prayer. And I believe with all my heart it was a passionate prayer, but it was 37 seconds of prayer. Jacob knew, I need more of God than that, and he's going to wrestle with God. There's a struggle going on, and he needs God to help uh, to help him, and he's all by himself in it. I like it when we all raise our hand in church and we see it and we have that sense that other people are praying for me. But isn't it true that sometimes we carry burdens nobody else knows about? Or we carry burdens that nobody else can help us with. And the truth is when we pillow our head at night, oftentimes it's just us and our thoughts and our problem and our God. That's where Jacob was. May I say this, that's not a bad place to be. That's where we get closer to God than we've ever gotten before. But how many of us shun that? How many of us shun that? How many of us want something else? We want an easier way out of things. On the night before the cross, the Savior warned Peter especially, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired that he may have you, that he may sift you as weed, and Peter refused to take that correction, that reproof, that instruction from the Lord. He chose Peter, James, and John, the inner three. Uh, they're all the other, the, the, all eleven are in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he leaves eight of them, and he takes those three with him. He said, he brought them here, and he said, now I want you to pray with me. My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death, I want you to stay here. I want you to watch with me. That means stand the guard and pray. I I feel like I'm going to die. He was going to die, but that night he felt like it was going to come. The crushing weight of our sin was was bringing his humanity to that place where he thought he was going to die. He felt like it. He said, I want you to pray with me. And he went over about a stone's throw and prayed, and he came back after about an hour, and all three men were sound asleep. They knew what the Savior was going through, he told them. They knew what the need was, but somehow it just wasn't important enough for them to pray. Sleep was too priceless to them. Prayer didn't, prayer didn't interest them at all. See, true prayer means that I'm, I'm denying the desires of the flesh. I I know it's probably easier to play that video game or watch that TV program or that movie. I'm I'm sure it's more enjoyable to engage in that activity or that hobby than it is to shut out all those things in just you and God alone praying. That's why it's called wrestling. That's why it's called laboring in prayer because we have to deny the flesh an awful lot, don't we? If we're really gonna get a hold of God do you understand that Moses saw God face to face he saw his glory in a way that no other human being is seen except maybe Peter James and John got a glimpse of that on the Mount of Transfiguration Moses was transformed by that but you understand that was at the end of not 40 but 80 days of prayer and fasting he was up there 40 days and came down when they had built the golden calf. We're not sure how long he was down there. And uh, he fasted that 40 days and that 40 nights. He's down here for a while. We don't know if he ate or not. And he's back up on the mountain trying to get a hold of God so God won't destroy these, these uh, wicked people. It was after that all of a sudden God sent his glory by and Moses got to see and hear things that you and I cannot comprehend with our finite mind. It transformed Moses to the point that when he came down off the mountain, the Bible says he wist not that his face shone. There was a a literal, physical, uh, a visible shine, a glow about Moses. And for the rest of his life, uh, the people asked him to wear a veil over his face because they, they were a little disconcerted by this look in him. And can I say this? When you've spent time alone and you've gotten a hold of God, it's going to change you in such a way that normal people are maybe not going to be as comfortable around you. Because you see, they don't want to change their ways. They want to still talk the way they talk, but they're not real comfortable doing it around you because God did something in you. Jacob, that night, wrestled with God alone. F.B. Meyer, a preacher of yesteryear, said it was not that Jacob wrestled with the angel, but that the angel wrestled with him. As though to discover and reveal his weakness and to constrain him to quit reliance on his own strength, and to learn to cling with the tenacious grip of a lame man who dare not let go lest he fall to the earth. It is well to be even maimed if through the withered thigh we may learn to lay hold on the everlasting strength of God and learn his secret name. That's a powerful statement. See, Jacob went into this, and and, and we know he's, he's not taking... The blame away from him. He, he already said, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast shown unto me. He, he's, he's not doing that. But he doesn't realize there's still some more things that need to change. Jacob still has that tendency, I need to try to work it out. That's why, you know, you know he sent the present over trying to appease his brother's wrath a little bit. And God wants to get that out of Jacob. God wants to get self out of us. And that doesn't happen Lest we learn how to spend time alone with God. And that's why prayer gets a little hard because I don't know how many times I've prayed. And Lord, Lord, you need to do this and you need to fix this. And there's this problem and there's this person and so forth. And the Holy Spirit will often say, uh, let's hold on just a minute. How about this thing about you? How about the way you're doing this? No, this is not about me. This is about Rob for crying out loud. And God said, we'll get to Rob, but not until I've gotten to you. I believe we're going to get to heaven. him find out that the delay in a lot of our prayers getting answered is we wanted God to change our circumstance, but leave us untouched. He doesn't work that way. So Jacob wrestled with God all alone that night. There's something else we got to understand. He allowed God to change him. He wanted God to change Esau. And by the way, God will. But he changed Jacob first. Can I say this? Just as an add-on timeout, I hope nobody's listening to this sermon for somebody else. Well, I'm glad Adam's here. He really needs that. You have no control over anybody but you. You ought to be listening to every sermon for you. I'm I'm preaching it for me. I'm preaching it for me. He allowed God to change him, not Esau, in that time of wrestling prayer. By the way, for the average person, this is where the prayer meeting ends, abruptly. That's not what I came for. God, you know it's, it, you, you know it's Rob that needs to change, and Rob did this, and Rob said that, and uh, I'm going on and on about Rob. By the way, he's, he, he and I are pretty much okay. I'm still a little bitter that he's so tall, but other than that, we're okay. Uh, it's just by way of illustration, and God's saying, uh, uh, stop worrying about Rob. Why don't you worry about Tom? Yeah, but it's easier to worry about Rob. It's, it's not quite as painful when I worry about Rob. God says, no, that's not how it works. Why is it that we are so insistent that God change everyone else when we're unwilling to let God change what is wrong with us, self-included? Luke chapter 6 at, uh, in verse uh, 42, at the end of a teaching of the Savior, he made this statement, either how canst thou say to thy brother? Brother? Let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye when thou, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. But you know what our problem is? We love our beam. We love our beam. We're, we're loving being mad. We're loving our way of life. We're loving our temper. We're loving our way we talk. We're loving the time we give God. We're we're, we're loving all of that, and we really want that to stay there, but I need God to get the moat out of Rob's eye. So I'm walking around knocking everything over with this beam hanging out of my eye. And God says, "Uh, you hypocrite, why don't you fix yourself? And then maybe you can see clearly. Maybe you'll find out that that's not a moat in his eye. Maybe it's a sparkle. Or maybe it's none of my business. Did you ever think of that? Um, You understand, Jacob went into the prayer meeting, and and, and he knows he's done wrong, but it's Esau that's coming with the army. It's Esau that's been bitter. It's Esau that's built it up for 20 years. And... uh, God said, no, we need to change you. Verse number 25, when he, the Lord, saw that he prevailed not against him, that's Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. I don't want to say God cheated, because that sounds really sacrilegious. God just uh, decided to to work on Jacob, and so they're, they're wrestling. Imagine a wrestling match, and God deliberately did something and wrenched one of Jacob's thighs out of joint. Can you imagine how how much that hurt? It goes on to say later in the chapter, it was more than that. God chose the muscles in that thigh to shrink so that that that, uh, joint could never get popped into place again. The muscle and and sinews were were too small, they pop it back out. You know that I have the, the chest issue and they found out that I had a rib rolled out of place. Um, I go back to the chiropractor. It was three times a week. Now it's two times a week because those muscles were out of place for almost two years and they keep pulling that thing out. George mentioned in, in prayer for the offering Wednesday night, he saw the pastor doing his Napoleon imitation and it was really hurting on Wednesday night. So I went back Friday, snap, crackle, pop, I'm better because that muscle wants to do its own thing. By the way, timeout number two. Thank you to all the people that, from our church that are going down to the chiropractic place that I go to for your testimony. The first thing that my chiropractor said to me on Friday is, you send some wonderful people from your church to this place. Thank you for your testimony. Commercial over. Back to our regularly scheduled sermon. God did that to Jacob. He would never walk the same again. He would always have a limp. And that limp was going to make him somewhat defenseless, humanly speaking. That limp was going to make him dependent um, on a lot of help. You see me maneuvering around with one leg and a prosthesis. Stairs are still... My, my big nemesis, uh, ice is a, is a big problem. Even sometimes a wet floor can be dangerous to me. Uh, it, is not, it is not uncommon if I'm walking down some stairs and there's no handrail for me. Let's say that, that Rob and I have, were no longer fighting with each other. Uh, he got the beam out of his eye. Um, and we're walking down some stairs, but there's no handrail. It would not be uncommon for me to grab a hold of his shoulder. And it looks exactly like this when I do so. Because I'm unstable on the stairs and I need that. God put Jacob in a position for the rest of his life. He'd be that way. And Listen carefully. He was okay with it. He was okay with it. God sent a thorn in the flesh in Paul's life, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He besought the Lord thrice that it would depart from him. And finally, God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is all you need. And Paul ended up saying, most gladly, therefore, will I rather suffer infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know what he was saying? If this is what God wants, I'm okay with it. There are things that God's going to do as we draw closer to him where God's going to put us in a place that maybe we would not choose and maybe we don't like, it's God's way of saying, I need you to understand that you need me. We're self-sufficient, aren't we? Uh, what's a little child? Wesley, right now they're just introducing him to some, some uh, food. He had uh, sweet potatoes or something like that. And uh, the kid's going to be another Tommy. He loves his food and all of that. But there's going to come a point that Wesley's going to get tired of them holding the spoon and putting it in his mouth. And he's going to reach out and grab it. Have you ever seen a, a, a toddler feeding themselves for the first few times? They're just sure they can do it themselves, so it's here and here and here, and it's all over them, and like a tiny little bit got inside their mouth, uh, that type of thing, but that's kind of the way we are. That, that, that's human nature, and God said, Jacob, we got to get that out of you. You're too, you're still, you've still got that scheming part of you. You're not now scheming for bad, but even your scheming for good doesn't display trust, and so... He allowed God to change him. I reference Luke 22, the night before the cross, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Peter's response, of course, Lord, I am ready both to go with thee to the death. I'm ready. In other words, I'm fine like I am. But remember, the Savior said, when thou art converted. Is there anything about you that needs to be changed? We know what everybody else needs changed in their lives. I'm not asking you that. What needs to change in you before God can really do a work? What attitude do you have to change? What behavior do you have to change? What group of friends do you need to change? What manner of speaking do you need to change? What music needs to go? what television program needs to go, what habit needs to go. And I'm sure, as I've just gone through a partial list, things have come to almost everybody in here. You understand, you want God to bless your life, you want God to change and to fix things, God's waiting on you to let him change you. Well, no, it's the other person needs change. You can't change that person, but you can't change you. If I could make everybody be right with God, everybody do right, everybody think right, everybody act right, everybody talk right, man, that would be a blessing, but I can't. The only person I can make do those things is this guy right here. Jacob was willing to let that happen. He sought the blessing of God with a passion that would not be denied. God touched the hollow of his thigh, and Jacob's still praying. He's still wrestling on. Verse 26, and he, the Lord, said, let me go for the day breaketh. It's morning, Jacob, the night's over, and he, Jacob, said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. See, we're comfortable with the 37-second prayer because we're busy people, we live in a busy world. We think, well, they weren't. You understand, they were probably busier than us. They didn't put their clothes in a machine, dump some detergent in and push a button and go watch soap operas they took their clothes down to the stream and beat it against a rock all day. They didn't go to stop and shop and buy groceries. They went out to the field and picked stuff, brought it home, peeled it, and ground up their own flour and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they didn't have microwave, microwaves. They had to go gather wood and build a fire. You, you understand, they were as busy as we are. Jacob was busy, but he found time with God, and the day was breaking, and the Lord said, well... Time to go face your brother. And Jacob said, I can't go yet. You haven't blessed me. I'm not giving up. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We carry burdens. I've got mine. I've got burdens you're not privy to. And you've got burdens that I'm not privy to. We need to get over this shallow little prayer life of Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub there. I had 37 seconds with God. Now I'm on my way. And we need to learn what it is to just get a hold of God and say, I'm not, I'm not letting go until you bless me. He sought to know God better. God answered his prayer, and he said, Thy name, in verse 28, shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. God was pleased that this guy wouldn't let go. He said, you've had power with me. Do you know that Moses changed God's mind? Moses changed God's mind over and over again. you know that Abraham changed God's mind? You understand that that God listens and responds to the prayers of men. And Jacob found that out, and, and God was pleased, said, you're a prince. You've had power with God and with men and has prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee thy name. He said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name, and he blessed him there. What, what, what does that tell you? That tells me Jacob wanted to know God better. So God, you, knew, you know my name, and you give, gave me a new one. So what's your name? God went by a lot of names in the Bible. Uh, uh, God Almighty, the Most High God, Almighty God, uh, and, and on and on a wonderful list of names goes. And Jacob just said, tell me your name. I want, I want to know more about you. I want to know you better. Yesterday, I had the privilege of participating in a powerlifting competition down in Ansonia. Uh, the, the, the gym where it is, is held uh, is divided into two sections by a, a black curtain that hangs from the ceiling down to the floor. The spectators are in one side of that, and as where the staging area where each lifter comes out one at a time, uh, completes his lift, and then goes off the stage and so forth. On the other, other side of the curtain, they have stations set up uh, with weightlifting racks and so forth. Uh, They have about six or seven of them, and that is where all the lifters are warming up before each particular lift, whether it's back squat, the bench press, and then the deadlift. And this year what they did is they, instead of you trying to, you know, crowd around with 39 other people trying to get time on a rack, they assigned every uh, rack to three different lifters. Mine just happened to be right in front of where uh, we, we were ca- sort of camped out, and, uh, and somehow in, instead of three lifters, we only had two on mine. One guy just would rather uh, warm up with his friends. So there was a young guy, a teenage guy, about six feet tall, um, and, and he was with me, and uh, we, we at least exchanged each other's name. There was a lot going on. His name was Xander Alexander, but he goes by Xander uh, and so forth. And that's a, that's kind of about it, and we would help each other put weights on the bar, in my case, take weights off, because uh, he was lifting and doing a whole lot more than I was, and it was just kind of a frenzied time, uh, and we did that from uh, somewhere around 1.30 in the afternoon uh, till 7.30 at night when everything finally ended. I walked out of the place last evening, and I was so tired. I was praying for the rapture to come so I didn't have to drive all the way home. And I walked out, and just just right below the stairs in the, the parking area, here was this young man, and he was on his way to his car, but he saw me, and he turned around, and he came back. And he, he he started crying. I, I was just taken aback. He started crying. He held out his hand. He said, "I had I had such a good time meeting you today, and and, and thank you so much for helping me, and 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 all of that." And uh, the next thing I you know, this big six foot tall kid is hugging me, and he's crying. And so we just we just started talking, and uh, that's when I find out his real name was Alexander, not Xander. I said, "Where are you from?" He said, "I'm from Los Angeles." I said, "Seriously?" I said, what are you doing here? He said, I go to school here. I said, you in college? He said, no high school. I said, where do you go to school? He goes, I go to the Loomis Chaffee uh, Prep School in Windsor. And I said, well, where our church is, there's a prep school, Rosemary he goes, Ro- uh, I'm sorry, uh, Choate Rosemary Academy. He goes, oh, yeah, I've been there. He goes, I- I've played against them in water polo. <laughs> water polo. And, and we stood there and talked, and so then what I what I found before me was a lonely kid. He had nobody there with him that day. He had no coach. Never been through it. He failed a lot of his lifts because nobody told him about commands, and he did. He he got the weight up, but he didn't follow commands, so it didn't count. But he he just kept on going, and we made arrangements to uh, meet together uh, for an opportunity to share a little bit more about the Lord, about him. But you realize. All I needed to do was stop being so busy. And I found a kid that was hurting and lonely and needed a friend. And I'm going to be honest with you, those moments in the parking lot was the high point of yesterday. And I had a fairly good day, but none of it mattered. Do you realize that there's more of God to know than you've ever dreamed about? Do you care? Do you want to know? Jacob came to a point. You understand his thigh's out of joint. He's in pain. But he's gotten something from God and he's got a hold of God. He said, what's your name? I want to know more about you. He sought to know God better. As we can can conclude this whole thing today, and by the way, I'm not over time yet getting there. I had to ask myself this question. As I was thinking, what do I put down for a conclusion? So I asked myself this question. Which type of Jacob's praying best describes me? 37 seconds of a good prayer or a wrestling with God that changes me so God can change everything else? You can't answer that for me, and I can't answer it for you, but I do pose the question to you. You've got the burden. You've got the crisis. You've got that problem you can't fix, you can't solve. And God can, for nothing is impossible with our God. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. But are you saying, God, I want you to do it, but I'm only going to give you 37 seconds? To get it done or are you going to say i'll wrestle with god i'll let god change me however he sees fit i want to know him better i'll pray i will not let him go unless he blesses me which one describes you how many here know jesus christ as your personal savior you know for sure you're going to go to heaven if you died someday this message is for us then let's bow our head and close our eyes father thank you for the bible